2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start off with verse 1. And what we see here happening now in this second letter to the church of Corinth is that Paul now is now speaking to them, he's writing to them, but he has to open up this second letter defending himself and his integrity and his character. You see, the church of Corinth wanted to discredit Paul because he didn't make a visit that he had promised that he would do. And they want to discredit his, credit, his character, his, his credibility, his, his now integrity to say, you know what, you are not really the real deal because you said something, but in fact you did quite the opposite. Has somebody ever maybe challenged your integrity because you said one thing and actually did the other? Because you promised one thing but actually did not keep that promise and did something completely the opposite. Well, now Paul told us in chapter 1, just like God is faithful, that God keeps His promises, so am I when I say something, that's what I really mean. I'm straightforward. See, there has to be more men and women in the church that, that go out and take that same attitude that say, just like God is faithful, just like you can count on God, you can count on me, Paul is saying. But now as he's saying this, he ended up in chapter 1 telling us that the Holy Spirit is the one that they should be depending on. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that makes you stand firm. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers you and commissions you to go forward and anoints you. It's the Holy Spirit that has set you as a guarantee and sealed you now as God's possession. And you are owned by the God. You see, so many times we want to put our eyes on man and that's why we get disappointed. I'll tell you, maybe you came in today and you're disappointed because you put your eyes on a husband, on a wife, on a boss, on a situation, on, a, on finances, and you get disappointed. Maybe even on a church, on a pastor, on a leader, and you become disappointed. I'm going to tell you why. Because man will let you down at times. And that's what he's reminding him. He's redirecting them. Yes, I'm faithful, but your eyes should be depending upon the Holy Spirit that's going to keep you firm, that's going to anoint you, that has already separated you, that's going to guide you, the Holy Spirit. And he ends telling us this. The reason why it actually didn't come was to spare you of a rebuke. <laughs> you see, how many times have you been grateful that maybe a parent or someone, the Lord, spared you of a rebuke that you need, know that knew that was coming. Well, Paul says the reason why I didn't come is because I didn't want to come on the same tone that I came the last time. And that tone was a tone, a very strong tone of discipline. In fact, in verse 24, or in 23, it says this of chapter 1, Moreover, I call the God as my witness against my soul that, I, that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. I wanted to spare you a severe rebuke. Not that we have, would have dominion over you, your faith, but we are fellow workers or we are joined together here. We're working together for your joy, for by faith you stand. See, I, don't, I, I want you to be full of joy, he's saying. I want you to be filled with joy. I don't want to have dominion. I don't want you to think I have control over your faith. I don't want you to look at me as, as someone that, that is lording over you. That is not the case. The reason why I did not come after I sent you that strong letter of discipline was to give you space to learn and to grow. You see, sometimes we want the Lord to answer now. We want the Lord to give us the, the, the response today. But the Lord said, I'm going to give you space to learn and to grow from the letter, from the Word of God, and where there is found discipline. Do you know that discipline is so important in your life? Not only that we would receive discipline, but we also would grow from discipline. 
A lot of times we hate everything about discipline. We don't want nothing to do with discipline. Understand God's word is filled with encouragement. But it's also filled with discipline for your life and for mine. So that we can grow. And he's saying here, I wanted to now to give you space to grow, space to learn, so that you can depend on the Holy Spirit, so that you don't have to depend on me for your personal growth. A lot of times we say, you know what, I'm not growing in the Lord because that pastor doesn't teach or that church doesn't teach or, or you blame it on people. You can't blame your spiritual growth on someone else, Paul is saying. It is up to you to get in front of the Word of God and say, Lord, show me and teach me, guide me from what I've been learning. And Lord, that I would learn from the discipline of your Word. You see, don't, he's saying, don't depend on me for your spiritual strength and character. Depend on the Lord. And the discipline that comes from His Word. How many times do we, do, have we shunned away discipline? You know what happens when you don't want discipline in your life? When you say, you know what, I don't want discipline in my life. I, I, I do not want confrontation in my life. I don't want to feel convicted. I don't want someone to oppose my belief. Your life eventually is going to feel, be filled with regret. Well, I don't want the pain of discipline. The pain of discipline of waking up early and spending time with the Lord. Or the pain of discipline of, of choosing no to the things of this world so I can say yes to the things of God. Or the discipline of being focused in my prayer life and serving the Lord. That there's so much pain in that discipline. But I'll tell you, would you rather choose the pain in discipline or the pain in regret? A lot of times our lives are filled with the pain of regret. Where we're looking back, I wish I had more discipline back then. And our lives are filled with regret. Understand this. In the Word of God, in the family of God, in the church, the discipline that we see in the Word of God is not to discourage you. It's not to destroy you. It's not so that you would come and you would feel condemned or guilty in the Word of God. No, the discipline in the Word of God, the ultimate goal of the discipline in the Word of God is to deliver you from that in your life that you need to be delivered from. The discipline, the word of God is so that you would be encouraged. It's, it's for accountability in your life. It's so that you can get checked in your life and say, I want to be holy. We need discipline so that we would remain holy. Ask yourself, have I set boundaries in my life as disciplines? Am I being disciplined from the word of God? Am I being corrected from the word of God? Am I remaining in that steadfast focus? Because the ultimate goal that Paul says, the goal is not to, to discourage you, to, to destroy you, or, or to make you feel bad or guilty. No, the ultimate goal, when we come to the Word of God, is for holiness, is for repentance, is for restoration. See, I think this is so important as we even go to these few 11 verses today. Then we ask God, Lord, I want to go to that place of discipline because in that place of discipline, I can come daily to repent before you. You know what is it that we need today is repentance. Repentance, daily repentance. The coming to the cross of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I want to repent daily of whatever doesn't honor you. I want to make things right with God. Especially as we're coming today to take communion. You see, sometimes we think that we don't need discipline. There's no correction at church. Everyone just feels good every time. There's no conviction from the Word of God. And then guess what you do? You give people a false sense of a false relationship with God. Because there's no repentance. And I'll tell you this, if there's no repentance in your life, then do you really have a relationship with God? 
If nothing in your life has changed, I'll tell you this, if nothing in your life has changed since you became a believer, then are you really following Jesus? <laughs> Maybe you're following something else. Maybe you're following your desires. Maybe you're following the lust. Maybe you're following your friends. You're not following Jesus like that if nothing has changed. Discipline is important so that we can repent and follow Jesus. Without that, you're not following Jesus. You're following the world, right? And when we follow the world, we're going to be filled with regret. But when you're following Jesus, you're going to be filled with the fullness that comes from His Spirit. You're not going to have to chase after empty things that satisfy you temporarily. And the next day, you're again hungry. Let's see what Paul has to say right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. But I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. I didn't want to come in that way again. One time was enough. I came and it was very hard. I didn't want to come again with that same Tony saying. For I make, if I make you sorrowful, if you grieve again by the strong message of conviction that I'm bringing. If, I, if you grieve again, then who is he who makes me glad? And how am I going to rejoice if I'm going and every time I have to go, it has to go be for correction. He said, for me, that's not even pleasant, Paul is saying. But the one who is made sorrowful by me. You see, he's saying in the very first two verses, he said, I, I did not choose to come, or I chose not to come because I wanted to spare you from this correction because I, I didn't even want to do this. I don't want to keep coming to correct you in this manner. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, today for your word. And we ask, Lord, that Lord, you would use it to convict us, to correct us, to encourage us, to confront us of anything in our life, Lord, that doesn't honor you. And I ask, though, that not only would you teach us what discipline means, but you would also teach us what forgiveness means. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. Amen. Verse 1 and verse 2, what is Paul telling us? I didn't want to come, because I don't want to come in that same tone. I wanted to spare you. I want to become sensitive. He loves them. He wants to become sensitive. And he's telling them also in verse 1 and 2, I don't want there to be a conflict in a relationship that every time you see me, I have something to say to you, and where you feel convicted, and there's no encouragement. I just wanted to give you room to grow. In fact, if I came in that same tone, who's going to comfort me if you're sorrowful? I wanted to give you space. I wanted to give you time now to grow. But verse 3 and 4 tells us this, And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come I should have sorrow over those whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. You see, I didn't want to come also because I also want to be joyful. I want to rejoice with you. And the joy that I get, I get it from the joy that you have in your obedience to the Lord. So I decided not to come. I decided to wait. I decided to give you space to grow. Because how am I going to be joyful if those that bring me joy are actually grieved? And he's telling, he's telling them this now in the New Living Translation. It reads verse 3 like this. This is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I, I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from you being joyful. You see, does he really, is he saying this because he doesn't like them? Is he saying this because he, he wants to get them upset? Is he saying this because he's after them? Sometimes we think, you know what? They're after me. The pastor there is after me. He, every time he comes, every time we come, and he says this, you know what? He's talking to me. I, I bet my wife talked to him. <laughs> 
I, I, I bet my, my kids told them how, how we are as parents or whatnot. You know, you start to think, you know, he doesn't really love me. You know, he's saying, hey, I love you. I love you so much. In fact, my joy comes from seeing you joyful. And therefore, I decided not to come but to give you space because I wanted you to grow. And you see really his heart, how transparent he is. He's saying, this is not easy for me either. This is tough for me because I love you. But I must show you the discipline of God's word. Because he loves them. See, when you love someone, are you going to tell them the truth? Or are you going to go ahead and give them a lie? When you love them, you want to give them the truth, the word of God. You don't want them to come and just feel like everything's good in their lives. You want to say, you know what? There are things that need to be fixed. If we come to church every time, we leave thinking we're good. Then what's the point of coming? (laughs) We need to come to say, Lord, I want you to speak to me about areas in my life. Because I want to change and I want to honor you. That's the entire purpose of being gathered together to encourage one another so that we can grow. But verse 4 says, for out, of my, for out of much affliction and anguish, out of much trouble and tribulation with many tears, he's saying in verse 4, of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Saying, I love you so much, and it's been so hard for me to write this. But I had to write this because I love you. It was so hard, I had to write it in affliction, in tribulation, in anguish. There was tears involved. It was difficult for me to write this. But the reason that I wrote this, it wasn't simply for information. It was for life transformation. Don't come to church today saying, I I want some information, I want some content. No, we don't come for information. We come for life transformation transformation and in verse 4 Paul is saying you know what this has been so hard for me I wrote this to you and it hurt me in my heart to have to say this but I did it but I did it because I wanted to show you how much love I had abundantly for you I love you so much so I had to let you know what did he want to let them know he wanted to let them know the state of the church he said I don't I don't want to grieve you but I'm willing to tell you the truth because I love you And sometimes in a love relationship, understand this, sometimes in a love relationship, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes to tell the truth, but we must because we love those and we want to see them grow. We want to see them grow. Now in verse 5, he kind of shifts the tone here. He talks about, if you really think that what I said was, was a reason to be grieved... If you really think of what I said was a reason to, to, to feel you know, a sense of, of, of guilt or of sin in, in the camp nor in your life. Well, I want you to remember something that took place of which I wrote about. Verse 5 tells us this, but if anyone has caused you grief, you think I caused you grief? You think I'm the, the source of your grief? You think I'm, I'm the one that's always being negative and, and talking about sin and, and talking about things that you have to fix in your life and correcting and convicting with these letters that I'm writing? He said, if anyone or if anything has really to cause you grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. You see here, he's now referring to someone in the church. If anything is going to cause you grief, it's not going to be me, Paul is saying. If anything or anyone should cause you grief, is that person in the body of Christ that is still sinning. If anything should bother you, is that sin that's taking place around you. That should really be the cause for grief. 
And he's going to remind them that back in 1 Corinthians, it's believed and commentators uh, believe and suppose that he's referring to this man that was living in sexual immorality in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's saying that person in the church, when you were so prideful thinking everything was okay, but there was sin taking place in your life, that should have brought you grief. That there was sin taking place. I really pray that God would bring us grief in our lives. That sorrow would become in our hearts from areas that are not honoring the Lord. Because if we're okay and there's areas that are honoring the Lord, we're, we're farther than God than we already thought we were. And he's saying, he's telling us this. He said, I don't want to be too severe. I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to exaggerate. I, I, I don't want to now overstate this. But the grief should come from the situation, not from the discipline. Don't find grief in the discipline. Find grief in the situation so that from that grief, from that sorrow, it can now bring repentance. See, the Bible tells us that, that godly sorrow is good because it brings repentance from our situation. And he tells us here in verse 5, If anyone has caused you grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. This man that was now living in sexual immorality in the church. He even tells us that he was actually sleeping with his father's wife, that he was sleeping with his stepmother. And no one had the guts to say anything because everybody wanted to pretend like everything was okay. No, he tells them, you must call that sin out. What happens when you don't call out sin in our lives, in the church, and maybe even in your life, in your family, in your marriage? With your children, what happens when you don't call out sin and, and you don't keep the, the, the family or the marriage or the church now holy? Then it, it's not healthy anymore. If it's not healthy, then, then it's not going to be holy. If it's not holy, it's not going to be healthy. And guess what's going to happen there? It's going to spread and permeate other places of the body of Christ. And he says, you need to check that now. You need to check that. Are there any unchecked areas of our lives that we need to check before they spread into other areas of our lives? You see, this is the, the reason why he's, he's going to them and he's telling them, I want you to deal with this sin. I want you to remove this person, he says, so that they can, they can learn their lesson out in the world and then come back to be restored. Not because we don't like that person, but because we want to see them delivered from this sin. And he said, this person has really caused you grief. When you accept and you tolerate the sin and, and it's unchecked, it's going to grow, it's going to contaminate, it's going to now uh, c continue to, to be a problem now and, and be more of a problem than you thought it was. But because you haven't now addressed it. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4 and 5, he says, I want you to put a meeting together. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such one to Satan. Tell him, you know what? You cannot, if you're going to choose to live that lifestyle, you have to go out and do it out in the world. And he says, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. If you're saying this is the way I'm going to live, then you know what? Go out. That's your decision. Go out and live out in the world and see how the world treats you. And you're going to see that person come back humble that it says this, for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the, in the day of the Lord Jesus. And we've seen this so many times. As someone makes a decision, you know what, I don't care, I'm going to live my life this way. All right, then go for it. You go live your life this way, but you're not going to come and pretend that everything's okay and bring that sin into the body of Christ. Person goes and gets dealt with their entire life or their entire season in that situation in their life. Guess what they come? You know, they get beat up in the world and they come back humbled. But you praise God for that. You praise God for that. Because they were delivered from that sin and they learned 
this situation is only going to leave me more to despair. Now he's talking about this man that, that they, they told him, you need to get out and you, you need to take that out of the situation. We're not going to allow that to happen here. But what happened to this man? Something good actually happened out of this. Something good happens out of discipline. I think we, have, we cannot be scared out of discipline because good things happen when we follow God's word when it comes to discipline. With this man, it says in verse 6 that he repented. That he repented now, but the church was not yet ready to receive him back. Has somebody ever offended you? Man, maybe wronged you. Maybe you feel like it's been too many times that they've done it. And you said, you know what? I want nothing to do with you. But now you see a genuine repentance. And what is your spiritual responsibility when it comes to repentance? To forgive. And to reinstate. Now to, to bring him back now into the body of Christ. And he tells us this in verse 6. And seven, the punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. That is enough now. See, sometimes we want to give the person a cold shoulder and say, you know what, I don't, you've wronged me, you've done this to me, you've failed me here, you, you've offended me in this way. And the church says, you know what, we, we don't want nothing to do with that man because of what he did. Well, now in verse 6, Paul says, that's enough. It's time he's repented. It's time that he becomes restored. The beautiful thing about repentance that it follows now or is followed by restoration. When you repent, then you can be restored. The problem is that sometimes we want to be restored. We want to be restored in the body. We want to be restored in a marriage. We want to be restored with our families. But there hasn't been any repentance. Maybe we want to be restored with the Lord. Lord, I want to be back in the place that I once was. But because I feel so far from you. But have you repented? See, repentance is so necessary. But now he tells us that punishment, the discipline which he has experienced, which he has now been inflicted now, that is enough now. It's time to restore such a man. See, in verse 7, he's going to tell us what, they want, what he wants them to do now. Because maybe you know someone that's repented. Maybe there's, it's been such a time now, a season now, where you've been upset with this person. Maybe it's in the body of Christ. Maybe it's in your own family. Maybe it's in your house. But in verse 7 it says, So that, on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive. Underline that please, church. And comfort him. It is time to forgive now. Just like we're big on discipline, we should also be big on now restoration. Sometimes we are the ones that want to say, You know what? It's time for, to discipline right now. We want nothing to do with that person. They've offended us. They've wronged us. They've done this many times over and over and over again. But he's saying now is a time to forgive and now is a time to comfort now. Why? Because he wants to see that person restored. Do you see that every time that we're going to say, make a stand for righteousness against someone that's living in sin, we're doing it with the motive of seeing that person restored. We're doing as a body of Christ, we're seeing that person delivered. We're doing it from the motivation. We want them to be holy in the eyes of God. That's the entire purpose of now the discipline. And he wants to remind them that in verse 17, on the contrary, now, now is the time to forgive and to comfort those that have offended you or those that have sinned against you. Who has sinned against you or offended you lately that it's time for you to forgive and to comfort? 
Is there somebody right now in your life that you know, I mean, you know what, the Lord has called me to forgive, and maybe I've put off that forgiveness. Maybe I haven't received that person back. Maybe I haven't restored that person back into fellowship. Well, now he's telling them this. There is a need for forgiveness. There is a need for, for, for restoration and comfort now. Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. You know what happens when you let someone now just linger out and they've already repented and they feel, no, you know what, what I did was wrong and they want to be able to be restored and they want to really be now renewed with the Lord and reinstated in a relationship now? What happens? That they're swallowed up now in sorrow. They're discouraged. We can so easily discourage someone by letting them live in guilt, shame, and condemnation. That's not the way that the Lord does it with you. So why would you do it with someone else? The Lord doesn't allow you to walk around in condemnation and guilt or in shame. The Lord doesn't let you live in that situation with a heavy weight of sin over your life. When you repent, the Lord has covered you with the blood of Jesus Christ now. And you no longer have to walk with that sin, with that shame, with that guilt. And He's saying here, receive Him so that therefore He's not swallowed back or overcome with discouragement. Receive Him back. Because restoration is just as important as rebuking the brother or the, the sister or that person that you love. And you have that obligation. Our forgiveness should always follow our correction. Notice that it tells us that in verse 7, forgive and comfort. Maybe those are two words that God wants you to learn today, forgive and comfort. What would, you, what would happen to the church if the church learned to forgive and to comfort? Not only to forgive, but also to comfort. You know what we have a reputation of doing in our nature is to forgive, but then not to comfort. <laughs> we want to remind people of how they wronged us. I forgave you, but every time they get, you, we, they get under our skin, we remind, we're quick to pull that card out and say, remember when you did this? Remember how you wronged me here? You remember how you wronged me there? And guess what happens? There's, that's the reason why there's no restoration in the household, in the church, in the body of Christ, in the family, because we don't forgive and then we don't comfort. You see, if you want to be able to see a difference when it comes to forgiveness, let it be followed by comfort. Where you don't consistently have to bring up how that person wronged you. You see, it's, it's done by the motivation, the forgiveness done by the motivation of love. But what does the Bible tell us? That when you forgive, you shouldn't re remind that person how many times they have wronged you. You should do it with the spirit of humility and the spirit of love. I'm going to forgive you in humility and I'm going to forgive you in love. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 it says, Brethren, if a man has overtaken in any trespasses, if somebody is, has backslidden, if somebody is going back to the things that they should not be going to, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of what? In the spirit of gentleness, with humility and with love. You know, you, you know someone that's struggling right now? You know someone that's struggling and battling with sin or something in their life? Don't go and beat them up because of it. <laughs> Restore them in the spirit of gentleness, considering less yourself less. You also be tempted. And it says, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you bearing with one another? Are you enduring with one another? Are you being patient with one another? That's what happens when you forgive. You bear. You become patient. You learn to forgive. In Ephesians 4.32, tells us, And be kind to one another. And kind how? Being tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
Why is it that sometimes we want forgiveness from God? We want to receive forgiveness, but then we don't want to extend it. That there's something about us that makes us believe that before the Lord, you know what, we, we qualify for forgiveness, but that brother doesn't qualify for forgiveness in our eyes. And then we don't want to forgive them. We're so ready the Lord has forgiven us, but then we don't extend the forgiveness to that person that also needs forgiveness. None, understand this, you're not perfect. And God also forgave you. And just like God forgave you, you're, it's your turn now to forgive them. Do you guys see that news article and, and video that surfaced this week of this young gentleman who was there testifying and he was at court and he was looking at an officer, an ex-officer who had shot and killed his older brother. And he was there and what did he say? I, I only want the best for you and the best for you is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he was forgiving her in public. How many times you know, did we see that and be moved? Because of what forgiveness does. You know what forgiveness does? It makes you be more like Jesus. Whenever, when we saw that video, not only was it a touching thing, but it said that young man is being an example of Jesus. When you forgive, you're learning to be more like Jesus. Forgive and comfort. And he's saying, I, I want the best for you. If you want the best for someone, you're going to forgive them. Because you want them to have a relationship also with Jesus Christ. And in verse 8, it tells us here, Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to Him. That person that's over there standing outside of the church that you haven't let in because you're so upset with them because of the sin that they caused, you've already told them to get out. He's already been dealt with by the enemy. It's enough now. He's repented, forgive, comfort, and reaffirm. Those are three words that I want you to remember today, church. Forgive, comfort, and reaffirm. After I forgive, what should I do? I should comfort that person. What's a good way of comforting? Reaffirm. Let them know that you love them. You know where, how healing comes in a relationship? When you allow someone to know, when you let them know that you love them. We sometimes we want healing to come in a relationship, but we don't want to reaffirm love. It, it's so hard for us to tell someone that we love them. And for some reason, it's so hard for us to say, I forgive you and I, I love you. But isn't that what the Lord Jesus said to you? Isn't that what the Lord Jesus speaks to you every single time where we fail Him? When you reaffirm your love, you're saying, you know what, there's healing. I'm leaving the past behind. And affirmation of love is so important because it leads to restoration. You want to see someone be restored and reaffirm your love to them. Reaffirm, tell them that you love them. The thing that we do and our problem is, is that we assume that people know we love them. <laughs> Well, they already know I love them. If I didn't love them, I wouldn't be here still. After everything they did, you know. <laughs> and that's our way of showing people that we love them. I love them. I'm still around. No, it's, you, all, you must reaffirm your love to them. Let them know that you love them, right? So you see, you can't love people by accident. Sometimes we think, you know, we're going to wake up and sometimes we're going to love them by accident. You don't just love people by accident or love people by passing. You have to be intentional about it. You have to say it. You have to mean it. You have to have a plan. You know, and, and if you don't reaffirm your love to someone, 
Guess what happens when you don't reaffirm your love to someone that's wronged you? They become very discouraged. And they don't grow in their spiritual walk. But not only that, but you don't grow as well. Because you see the way they are, and they're just living in guilt, they're living in shame, they're living in condemnation. They don't think that they're good enough. They're confused whether you love them or not. Don't let them be confused. Confirm. Let them be confirmed. And, 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 and now know that, they, that you love them. Comfort them with the words, I love you. Don't be confused whether I don't love you or not. As soon as they have sinned and you forgive them, let them know, I love you. Because that brings them comfort and that gives them space to grow. What did it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Paul said, you know what? Love keeps no record of wrongs. When you love, also comfort and also affirm that you love them. And keep no record of wrong. Don't keep that little note back with all the things that they've done wrong. So that when it's time, when you need your way, I'm going to pull that thing out. And I'm going to let them know. That's not what the Lord does. The Lord doesn't keep any records of wrongs. Did the Lord ever keep a record on you? The Lord grabs that record and you know what He does with that record? In which the enemy always kept record of all your sin. In which the law kept the record of all your sin. The Lord grabs His blood and He pours it upon that record. And that record is absolutely clean. You see, the Bible tells us in Psalms 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, we can't even tell how, how, how far that span is. So far He has removed our transgression from us. The Lord removes your sins from you as far as the east is from the west and He never brings them up again. He never brings them up again. So guess what He does? He's saying, you know, I don't even remember those sins. I have no idea. Because He loved you that way. You see, it's so important that we read this today because some of us here are in bondage to unforgiveness. We can be um, very in bondage to unforgiveness. We're enslaved to unforgiveness and to resentment. We become very bitter in our hearts because we don't want to forgive. And I tell you this, if you are in bondage to bitterness, to resentment, to unforgiveness, it, not only is it a sin, but you're not going to grow spiritually in the Lord if, if that's taking place in your life. There is so much freedom in forgiveness. There's so much freedom in forgiveness because it allows you to love like Jesus loves, but it also allows you to go to the place of the cross and say, I want to grow in the Lord and I want to see that person grow in the Lord. And if your, your heart right now is a, is a harbor of resentment, is a harbor for bitterness, then we have to ask the Lord, Lord, give me freedom from this because I don't want this to hold me back. It will hold you back from the way God wants to use you. It's been said before, you know, and I'm sure you've heard it. You either are going to be bitter or you're going to get better. <laughs> Which one? You get to choose. Because there's so much freedom and forgiveness. And where do you find that forgiveness? At the cross. At the cross where you find the love of Jesus Christ. Go to the cross to receive forgiveness, but also go to the cross to be able to extend forgiveness. Why do you have to go to the cross to extend forgiveness? Because there you realize that that's where you received it as well. And there you have to die to yourself at the cross every single time. What keeps you from forgiving? I'll tell you this, what keeps you from forgiving today is yourself. Your pride. Your self-righteousness. I'm good. I would never do that. My, our pride, our heart of heart, our, our, our mentality that thinks that, that, you know, we would never do something like that. So because we have that heart that is so hard that needs to be dealt with at the cross, we are not able to forgive. But when you go to the cross, you say, Lord, I'm denying my pride. I'm turning in my self-righteousness. I'm turning in this hard heart. 
I want to reconcile with you through forgiveness, Lord. And the Lord gives you a heart to forgive other people that also have wronged you so that you can restore them. Because that's where reconciliation happens at the cross. Know this. You also were separated, but the cross was now that bridge, that gap that brought you and God the Father together again. That's where we repent. That's where we repent. And today, if you're going to choose forgiveness, you also have to choose repentance. You can't just say, I want forgiveness, but I don't want repentance. Because repentance is where your life changes, and that's where forgiveness also happens. A lot of times we want to say, Lord, I want forgiveness, but then we don't want Repentance. The moment that you say, I, Lord, forgive me, you're also saying, Lord, I choose repentance. What is repentance? I'm going to stop my life the way it's going. It's going a bad direction. I'm going I'm to do a, a halt and I'm going to do an about face and I'm going to continue walking a separate now or a different direction now. It's important that we forgive people. Because guess what? I'm here because the Lord forgave me and the Lord restored me. And that's why you're here as well. Because the Lord forgave you and because the Lord restored you. And He gave you a, a, another opportunity at grace. And another opportunity at grace. And that never runs out. And because the Lord has given you that endless amount of opportunity to grace. And because you're here because of that. Now it's your responsibility, your spiritual responsibility to forgive someone else. When you say, you know what, I'm not going to forgive. Not only are you being disobedient to God. But your heart is hardening. Verse 9, look, what's, look what it says. For to this end, I also wrote that I may put to test whether you are obedient in all things. But you're obedient when it comes to calling people out. <laughs> a lot of times we're good at that. Nobody has to teach us all. Oh, you know, I'm going to call them out. Can't wait till they get home. I'm about to call them out today. You're obedient when it comes to calling someone out because they've sinned. But are you obedient when it comes to forgiving and restoring someone out? Oh, you know what? That, that part, oh, I just have a little problem with now. Just like you're obedient when it comes to calling out the sin, you should be obedient when it comes to forgiving that person. And beware that you don't leave today with the heart of unforgiveness. That is a sin. I don't want to forgive. I want you to prove, verse 9, Paul is saying, in all things, obey when it's hard, obey when it's easy. Not only obey when it comes to discipline, obey also when it comes to forgiveness. Because when we make a choice, I want you to tell you, I want you to know this, that forgiveness is a choice. You can't say, I can't forgive that person. Yes, you can. <laughs> because if God forgave you, yes, you can forgive that person as well. Forgiveness is a choice. And when you choose not to forgive that person, you're being disobedient to God's command. And you don't want to be in that place. What, what the Bible says, if you don't forgive your brother, how do you expect the Lord to forgive you? You're coming with a heart that is not repented because you have not forgiven that person. So how do you expect to receive forgiveness from God? Luke 17 verse 3, the Lord says this, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. He sins against you, correct that person. But if he repents, forgive him. Oh, you know what? Someone said sorry. Guess what you say? You don't say, that's right. That's right, I'm sorry. No, you say, I forgive you. <laughs> because that's what the Lord did in your life. Not only does it say that, but in Matthew 8, 21 and 22, the Lord tells us how many times or when should I forgive? I already forgave that person one time to keep doing me wrong. No, Matthew, 21 verse, verse, Matthew 18, verse 21, the Lord says to give an infinite amount of forgiveness to that person that's wrong, even if it's the same person. Even it's the same person. He says, Then Peter came and said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? 
How many times should I forgive them? Up to seven times? <laughs> That's sometimes how we ask the Lord, Lord, I have seven times. That person used all seven. They're done. <laughs> no, Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, some of you guys are trying to do that math. You know? But what Jesus was saying, he's saying an infinite amount of times, as much as needed, forgive that person. And keep no record of how many times you've forgiven that person because that's what the Lord has done for you. What about, what about us that we're serving in the house of God? What about us that are coming and wanting to receive a blessing from God and serving Him and, and being so joyful? Matthew 5.23 says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, you're going to come and bring your offering to God on, on Sunday, Wednesday, wherever it's time that you come to the house of God and you remember your brother has something against you. You remember someone has something against you. If you're not right with your brother, leave your gift off the altar and go your way first. Be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. You think God is going to accept the gift when there's something wrong between you and someone else? He's not going to accept this. Maybe you're giving your offering to the Lord, you're giving your service to God, but something is wrong between you and your spouse. God's not going to accept that offering the way He, he would because it's not a pure offering. It's, it's an offering given when there is not reconciliation taking place. Now Mark 11 verse 25, Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Remember this, before you're going to pray, you have to ask for forgiveness and you also have to extend forgiveness. Forgive him. That your Father in heaven would also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither your Father in heaven will forgive your trespasses. If you don't forgive, neither your Father in heaven will forgive of your trespasses. You know why Jesus forgave? Because he had a heart of compassion. That's the kind of heart that we and you have to have a heart of compassion. A heart that we have a love for that person. We want to see them be rescued from sin. Think about the woman that was caught in adultery. Jesus, what did he do when he restored her? He said, go and sin no more. He did not accuse her. He was ready to forgive her. And he was ready to restore her. Now verse 10 and 11. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Paul is saying, I want you to forgive and I'm going to support you while you forgive. And if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven the one for your sake in the presence of Christ. With the presence and in the authority of God, we're going to forgive this person. In the presence of the Lord, we're going to forgive this person because they need to be forgiven now. And as we end in verse 11, you know what happens? Now in verse 11, he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. You know what Satan wants you not to do? He doesn't want you to forgive. And when you choose not to forgive, Satan will take advantage of that. To cause division, to bring in his schemes, to bring in his designs. He's saying this in verse 11, the Satan should take advantage. So in that word advantage means should Satan cheat you and rob you. You know that, that when you choose not to forgive, you know what the enemy does? He cheats you and he robs you. With his evil schemes and his evil divisions, he's going to outsmart you because he doesn't want you to forgive. When you don't forgive, you're giving room to the enemy. You're saying, enemy, come right into this situation because I'm choosing not to forgive. You see, the enemy has this, these wicked schemes and tricks that, that we as believers should not be ignorant of. We must be familiar with these schemes. There are three things that the enemy actually wants to do. What are his schemes that he's talking about? Number one, his scheme is that he would withhold forgiveness. 
When you're saying, you know what, I'm not going to forgive, that's the work of the enemy trying to creep in. The enemy wants to withhold forgiveness. So not only do you not receive it, but also that you don't extend it. He wants to withhold forgiveness from you and on your behalf. The enemy wants to withhold forgiveness. Why? Number two, because the enemy's scheme is that you would fail in the area of restoration. Is that you would fail in the area of restoration. And also, number three, is his scheme is that he would cause division. He would cause division. Know this, the enemy is going to take advantage of that. Sometimes we think that the enemy is that person that's living with us. And Lord, we're about to deal with the enemy right now. You know? And you think it's your spouse or your children or your boss. That is not the enemy. Remind yourself that that person is not the enemy. I love that person very much. The Lord has brought that person in my life. And what the enemy wants you to do is say, you know what, that's the enemy. Do not forgive that person. And he will take advantage of that situation to cheat you from peace, from forgiveness, from joy, from unity. And you'll start to believe that your brother is actually your enemy. That is false. That is a lie from the enemy. You know what are the three things we must learn today as we end and as we ask the worship team to come forward? We must, number one, learn to forgive. We must learn to forgive because that's what the Bible tells us. But also we must learn to now, after we forgive, that we would receive and that we would comfort. Not only do we want to forgive that person, we also want to receive them and we want to comfort them. And lastly, we want to reaffirm our love to them. Is there somebody today that you need to forgive? That you need to receive and comfort? Because when you receive them, you're comforting them. Not only receive and comfort, also reaffirm your love to them. Reaffirm, tell them that you love them, that you have forgiven them. Welcome them back. Let them know, let them understand that they have been forgiven. Because that's what the Lord has done. And you know, you, you want to learn today how to, how to forgive someone? You also have to learn how to ask for forgiveness. This is a big one. Because sometimes we're saying, Lord, we're going to learn how to forgive. But when was the last time you asked for forgiveness? Before we take communion today, we have to ask for forgiveness. Because the Bible says, if you haven't asked for forgiveness, and you haven't repented, if you're not right with God, then don't take it. This is not for you. But this can be for you. <laughs> and He wants it to be for you. He wants you to remember what He did for you on the cross. He wants you to remember that His body was broken on the cross for you. He wants you to, to take this to, as a, a, an ordinance in obedience that, that the Lord has washed with His blood all your sins away and that He brings them up no more. He wants to do that. But we have to repent. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, verse 7 and 9, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, maybe you're here, you're saying you have no sin. I'm good. I have no sin. I don't need to repent. That's maybe for the other person. And you're looking around saying, you know what? They better, they better now ask for forgiveness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You're lying to yourself. And the truth is not in you. Now, in fact, he goes on and says that we confess our sins. This is the best thing, the safest thing, the most courageous thing, the most beautiful thing that you can do today is to confess your sin to God. Not to a man, not to a person, not to anyone, but confess your sin to the Lord. For He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is saying He will never fail you when it comes to forgiveness. 
He is faithful and He is just. And today we're going to go ahead and pray. Because we know God is faithful and we know God is just. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come, God, today. Knowing, Lord, that you are faithful.